0: Good morning, this is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Rick Yokum, Executive Director of the Humane Society of Manatee County. Established more than 50 years ago, the Humane Society of Manatee County is a multifaceted operation that serves the local cat and dog community and their humans through various means. And Yoakam leads all these efforts. For starters, they operate a no-kill shelter called the Second Chance Adoption Center, whose track record typically involves rehoming more than 800 cats and dogs each year. The main site of Manatee County also runs a sprawling, modern veterinary hospital that's open to the public, by the way, and a high-volume spay and neuter clinic. Additionally, they seek to address the issue of feral cats or free-roaming cats by administering a trap-neuter return or TNR program which only provide spay and neuter services, but also vaccines and microchips, the byproduct of partnerships with local animal welfare organizations. Underwriting all these services is no cheap date, though, which brings us to the Bradenton Spring Festival, the Humane Society of Manatees County's biggest annual fundraiser, and that's set for March 25th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Caddies of Bradenton. The festival appears to offer a ton of action in those three hours, including a DJ, kite flying, foods and beverages, a race course for dogs, pet photos, face painting games, raffle prizes and more. We'll hear all about the uh, main side of community County and the Bradenton Spring Festival when I speak with Rick Yocum in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Also coming up later in today's program i'll speak with dr Lori marino a neuroscientist and expert in animal behavior as well as the founder of the whale sanctuary project dr marino has been a previous guest on talking animals for full-length interviews and i invite her to join me today for a brief conversation about kiska an orca who'd long been residing at Marineland, canada much of the time by herself and who died thursday more about kiska and what might have been with dr marino a bit later in the show Right now, though, let's talk about the Humane Society of Manatee County and the Braden and Spring Festival with Rick Yokum. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing DJ at WMNF.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Rick Yokum on Talking Animals on WF. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Duncan.
1: Good morning, everyone. Thank you for this opportunity. Really appreciate it.
0: Uh, thank you. Thanks for joining us on um, Talking Animals today. And we'll get to, uh, we have, I think, a lot to talk about. So, of course, we'll get to uh, various a- assets of the Maine Society of Manatee County, different facets of the, brain, the Spring Festival, and so on. But partly because those things are kind of under your purview, let's talk a-, a little bit about you first. Leading a humane society, is, to me at least, seems like a fairly singular job. So I'd kind of like to start by asking you to trade your career path when did you first start working on behalf of animals um
1: many 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 years ago um i um i served in the state of new jersey as a humane law enforcement officer for um close to 15 years um and uh, have always been involved in various uh, organizations throughout my career um in helping animals
0: and so how did it go from that early kind of work to a path that led you to uh, leading the uh, Humane Society of Manatee County.
1: Okay, so my real job, I was the general sales and marketing manager of a company in northwest New Jersey. I was also an elected official there for 23 and a half years. And um, my wife and I had a second home in Florida for many years with the intention of eventually uh, relocating here. Um, The opportunity arose at the Humane Society of Manatee County. Uh, to serve as executive director, um, I pursued that opportunity. Um, and as it's obvious, I was uh, selected. And it has been, uh, every day has been uh, exciting. Uh, I still love uh, every morning arriving here. Uh, I have an amazing staff and an amazing group of volunteers um, that take care of the animals and make everything happen here.
0: Well, that certainly sounds great. How, how long have you been the executive director there, Rick? Uh Seven years this March. That's great. So, given that path and some of the earlier things that you were doing, do you uh, obviously you love the job? But do you find yourself surprised by the job you have now, or does it make perfect sense to you? Kind of in looking back,
1: actually makes perfect sense. Um, you know, the animal welfare world, if you will, the people that are in this uh, in this circle are uh, again an amazing group of people, um, very passionate. Um, And, you know, uh, voices get raised and lowered on a regular basis, but it's all part of uh, being uh, part of an animal welfare organization. Um, And you see the good that comes out of it for the animals in the community. Um, And, you know, I'm also a a huge believer in nonprofits operating as a business uh, to be uh, more self-sustaining. Um, You know, nonprofit is our tax status. That's not our business plan. Um, And the better we do in raising revenue in our clinic means we can help more animals in the community and more animals come through our shelter.
0: Yeah, well, we'll get into the clinic and some of the things in a moment or two. But I think something you just said there, I think it's so pivotal having talked to a lot of people in roles similar to yours over now quite a few years here doing this show. I think that's exactly right about the... uh, The business uh, elements are so crucial, as is kind of the fact that you've been there seven years. I mean, because some of these organizations, there seems to be a lot of turnover and a lot of kind of instability. And that just uh, ultimately, of course, makes it more difficult for programs to be sustained and for animals to be helped. So the flip side of that is people are in the job for a while. All that kind of gets evened out. Things are more efficient. And again, if you treat it like with the background that you obviously had, uh, from a business standpoint, that, too, makes a big difference to how these things operate because there's there's a lot of moving parts to these kinds of uh, organizations, and if they're not soundly run from a business perspective, things can go sideways pretty quickly. Yes, sir. So what are, at this point, uh, having... Seven years in the job, what would you say the biggest challenges are in leading, uh, really, as I've already said once, a multifaceted organization like the Humane Society of Manatee County?
1: Well, it's interesting because the last couple of years, uh, as everyone knows, there have been quite a few uh, challenges and curveballs thrown at organizations, in particular in southwest Florida, um, but also nationally. Um, You know, you had the, uh, the, the pandemic. Uh, which, uh, you know, we, we pivoted and innovated and did everything we could to continue uh, to provide services for the animals in the community, and I'm proud to say that we did accomplish that. Um, you know, you also have the economic impact um, that are being felt by everyone. Um, that, is, that has been challenging. Uh, and on top of that, in, you know, different parts of the country, different weather Um, incidents have happened, including here in Florida. And that has been a challenge. But uh, again, I'm proud to say that with um, my board of directors, our volunteers, our staff, and in particular, the support from the community has been amazing throughout this entire time. Uh, So it's allowed us to continue to grow the services and increase services that we're offering to the people and the animals here
0: in manatee county well that's really great and, and i was going to ask you uh, more specifically about covid just because it, it really appeared to have affected shelters initially in mostly similar ways especially like in the lockdown stage but then yeah. it seems to have later impacted shelters in different ways so well, how would you kind of characterize the experience you guys had there early on and especially later in the pandemic
1: it was a huge learning experience for everyone, um, and I'm not telling you or anybody who's listening anything that they don't already know. Uh, we all learned as we went, and um, you know, in order to be able to continue to provide services, um, you had to you had to innovate, and and most most organizations were able to do that um, and keep their head above water and be able to provide the services. Um, one of the things that people had a huge fear of was that people that were home from work or working from home, um, that they were going to be adopting an animal to keep them company. And when they went back to work, they were going to look to, you know, abandon their animal. And yeah. um, that is not something that is not something that happened here in Southwest Florida. The biggest impact on keeping animals in homes above the economic impact on people um, really is the housing situation and the lack of animal-friendly housing. And again, southwest Florida, we're lucky uh, because we're in a much better place than uh, a lot of places in the country when it comes to that, but we still have a long way to go. That's the the number one reason um, why people surrender uh, pets
0: is housing yeah but well, it also seemed like one of the things that at least part of the the kind of general narrative and again there was all kinds of exceptions to this to this rule but as the pandemic kicked in and, and was continuing for a longer and longer period of time people were losing their jobs and or losing their businesses and that seemed to at least the way i understood some of the stories of some of these organizations uh lead to animals being returned whether they were initially adopted during the first part of the pandemic or not just that their that the belt tightening was so severe that they just couldn't necessarily keep going with not of course food and stuff but also veterinary bills and other things so that's what sometimes led to animals being relinquished was that kind of any part of the experience that you guys had there? That
1: was a part of the experience, but it wasn't the overwhelming part. Okay. And one of the reasons uh, for that is, and this is not just um, our organization, but many of the organizations here in Manatee and Sarasota County, including Manatee County Animal Welfare, Manatee County Animal Services, um, with pet food pantries
2: Yeah. um,
1: and many organizations, uh, again, not just us, um, have pet food pantries to give food to those people who are uh, in economic distress, financially challenged. Yeah, You know, we also have, um, you know, free spay and neuter programs throughout the year here. We also have free vaccine programs for low income or senior citizen um, residents here in Manatee, Sarasota County. So, and, and again, we're not alone there. There are other animal welfare organizations that also uh, have this safety net to help try to keep animals in their hum- with their human family.
2: Yeah. So I'm
1: really proud of our entire area uh, for focusing on pet retention and coming up with these programs. And obviously, they're not free. Um, you know, there's a cost to them. Yeah. Uh, so that does limit uh, sometimes the ability to do what you want to do. But in most cases, the safety net is there for people in the community.
0: Especially because, uh, at least in a lot of those pandemic-related uh, scenarios, people were we're kind of hitting a a rough patch for one reason or the couple of which I mentioned. But if there was people who could step up and say, Hey, we can help you cover your food costs, whatever for the time being. And I might have just gotten them over kind of a hump and they got a new job or, or, or the business kind of rallied or whatever the case might be. So then they, they they're on more stable ground financially, but it just made all the difference for them not having to relinquish their animal. Correct. Yeah, no, that's great. So, Are there any stories that stand out during what were otherwise, for many people, the trying times of COVID that you look back on fondly, like whether these be animal stories or people stories that you made made you feel like? Wow. I mean, obviously, just the fact that people are stepping up and helping uh, families that were struggling, you know, keep their pets there and be, keep them fed, whatever. But any specific stories of something that happened along the way during the covid period that, that just kind of stuck with you?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the things that that is, is not um, it's not amazing To me, because I've seen this for so long, but it is amazing for a lot of people to see how important taking care of their animal companions are to people and that people, um, you know, were so cooperative with all the new um, rules that that had to be followed with with COVID that they still made sure that their animals received the veterinary care they needed. Um, They received their vaccines. Um, you know, they took care of those animal companions as members of their family. Um, and, you know, again, COVID was a huge curveball to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but it, but it still, people still stepped up and did the right thing for their animals. And that, to me, speaks uh, volumes about our community and the relationship people have with their, with their pets. It's pretty cool.
0: No, it is very cool and it's a lot of times along those lines you saw people that cut back on some one or more aspects of their own human budgets, you know, whether yeah. it was eating out or something else that they might do that they just said, "Let's trim back so as to be absolutely sure we can keep everybody happy and healthy on the animal side of the family."
1: Yeah, it was, you know, one of the other things um, you know, especially early on with uh, with the pandemic. Um, there were people that were not economically affected in a, in an adverse way, yeah. Um, and yet there were people that were severely impacted um, that maybe have not had that issue their whole adult life, and all of a sudden, boom. But those that weren't adversely affected stepped up and supported programs with donations and funds to make sure that people who are struggling Uh, had some place to go. It was really, truly amazing. And, again, that speaks volumes about our community here in southwest Florida um, that that happened. It was pretty cool to be part of that. You know, one bad memory I have of the whole COVID situation uh, was on a day where it was about 106 degrees, and I was in our parking lot with a can of yellow spray paint painting numbers on parking spots so we could <laughs> invite people in in certain parking spots. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was uh, that's a memory I'll never forget.
0: Yeah, no doubt. But it's really that uh, when you talk about the community, that is community in kind of the most glorious sense for people who are doing okay, and haven't really been bit by the covid bug in, in any significant fashion saying hey yeah. i'll step up for my neighbor across the street or across town or whatever and and get them over this hump and we'll all be together yeah. later all the better for it so that that's that is kind of a really exciting and heartwarming kind of um uh, version of of community at its best so This is Talking Animals on WNF. Duncan Strass. If you just tuned in, my guest is Rick Yoakum, Executive Director of the Humane Society of Manatee County, which has been around for uh, more than 50 years and is... uh multifaceted operation, including a no-kill shelter, veterinary hospital, and spay and neuter clinic. To help fund these services, they host the Bradenton Spring Festival, which features food and music and kite flying, games and other stuff that we'll hear about a bit later. And that's coming up March 25th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Caddies in Bradenton. So if you have a question for Rick about any aspect of the Humane Society of Manatee County or would like to just offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663 email DJ at WMNF.org or text eight. 8- one three four three three zero eight eight five so as we've noted a couple times in the main side of man county there's a lot there's a lot to it there's it is multifaceted there's a lot of elements a lot of moving parts so who if you had to sort of narrow it down for the sake of this question at least uh, who would you say is your actual constituency
1: that um, actually is anyone in this vicinity, and that's you know Manatee, Sarasota, and additional counties. Um, anyone who has a uh, an animal companion, cat or dog, pet um, that um, you know needs to provide services for that animal. Yeah. Um, pretty much, it's a wide range of people. Um, you know, we it's funny because we even, we have volunteers here. Who, for many different reasons, can't have an animal companion at home, and you know their interaction with our shelter animals is kind of what keeps them pumping. Um, it's really an interesting thing to see yeah. how they can build relationships, and it takes special people to be able to uh, volunteer and work uh, in animal welfare. Um, you know, because you know if the animals come and go, just like fosters. You know, I. I cannot be a foster parent for a dog or a cat because if I'm going to spend a few weeks with an animal, I'm probably going to end up falling in love with them. And and as a foster, you know, you're providing care for that animal until they find their forever home. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's a special quality in people. And, again, we're, you know, far from the only organization that has people that are capable of doing that, and they're so important. In animal welfare.
0: Yeah, it takes a really uh, as you're noting, a specific kind of person whereas I think someone like you and I'm pretty sure I would be the classic foster fail person. It's like, okay, here, here it is for three weeks, and then you call up and I, I got to call up Rick and say, "I'm not giving this uh, this dog back or this cat back. Sorry, I did foster fail. I'm very sorry." But, yeah. uh, but you know, there's worse problems to have. Although you, you want to keep those people fostering so they can help more animals find homes. So, of course, there are, it is important. All kidding aside, to uh, to have people that are really good and effective at fostering and, and can can hand the, the cat or the dog over at the appointed time. Yeah. So, so as Executive Director, part of your portfolio is overseeing a, a large, modern veterinary hospital. How does that work? What what services are generally offered there? Well,
1: we are a uh, basically a full-service veterinary clinic. We have a 10,000-square-foot, state-of-the-art facility. Our, our Wellness Director, Dr. Lindsay Rowland, oversees all of the medical Uh, for our animals, both in the clinic and in our shelter here. Um, You know, we do uh, high volume spay neuter, uh, which is positively impacting um, the overpopulation issues that that would have existed if we weren't here uh, in this community. Um, We have a lot of vaccine programs, uh, both for I know we're open to the public, um, but we also have those vaccine and spay-neuter programs for financially challenged families. Uh, we provide wellness services. Uh, dentals is a huge mm. uh, growing service in our clinic, yeah. um, and everything we do is low to moderate cost, and we're able to do that because of the support that we get from the community, uh, You know, foundations, grants, individuals. And um, about nine months ago, we introduced dermatology services um, because about 60% of the animals or more that come through our clinic each year, which, by the way, is 13,000 animals a year wow. come through our clinic for services. Um, about 60% of them have some sort of dermatological issue, whether it's an ear issue, an eye issue, a skin condition. Um, And we're working to, again, provide those services low to moderate cost so people can deal with those issues with their animals.
0: And you you did mention that it's open to the public, so I take it anyone can bring their animal in for, for care at the veterinary hospital. That is correct. It's by appointment only. Yeah. Yes, we are absolutely open to the public. And how, how would you say the prices compare uh, with, with a private vet clinic that someone might otherwise go to or, or, or a vet hospital that someone might? Uh, we're probably, uh, in most cases,
1: about 50% of the cost. Wow. Uh, of what it might be somewhere else, depending upon what the services are. Yeah. And we're, a- we're able to do that, again, because of the support we get from the public foundation and grants, Yeah, but also because high volume, high volume spay-neuter, we're able to do, um, depending upon uh, how many surgeons we have available during a day, anywhere from 25 to 45 animals a day. Wow. Um, through spay-neuter. Um and, again, these are the highest quality services that you can get pretty much anywhere. Uh, so there's, there's no shortcut on, on the care side. Um, we, we take this very seriously um, and make sure that we have our clinic well-staffed and our staff is well-trained. Um, and we have an amazingly good clinic staff here.
0: And, and once again, you see the, the the virtues of having a bed hospital and all the things that you can offer people uh, in terms of care, and and again, really affordable care, which sometimes get is, is tricky for many many people. Who again, you know, e- economic times, you know, everything is prices are everything's up right now. So again, people are are tightening their belts. So the fact that they could go and, and maybe spend maybe half of what they would normally. Uh, need to elsewhere to, to get their cat or dog taken care of is, is huge. But it also yeah. seems huge that uh, that you're operating a spay and neuter clinic on the same grounds uh, as the vet hospital and it sounds like there's a number that you're doing any given day. Is there any way to really quantify the value of having an ongoing uh, physical clinic that's easy to get to, easy to use. I mean, a lot of organizations say, Hey, this coming Saturday, we're having band neuter situation at s- such and such from noon to five or whatever it might be, which is great. Cause anything that can span neuter in any, any way that, especially if it's affordable, is fantastic, but it just seems like it's, it's inherently just different to say, this is, this is our facility. We're always here. We're always doing span neuter. And, uh, So is there any way uh, just generally either anecdotally for you or is there actually any research that does kind of quantify how much difference that makes in terms of the actual number of spay neuters that happen in a given area when it's when it's basically, you know, easy and accessible to do?
1: Right. You know, where where we're located here on 14th Street in downtown Bradenton is the perfect location for our facility uh, to serve not just this area but surrounding areas, but in particular, to provide services uh, in this in this area you know we 're accessible by car, uh, bus, bicycle, or walk up um, and and we get all of that on a regular consistent basis. Um, people are very comfortable coming to us because they know that they can, you know, that we're always here providing these services, um, you know, versus a pop-up vaccine clinic yeah. on an empty lot on the side of Route Forty-One. Um, you know, um, you know, people, people uh, trust in us. Um, our credibility is extremely high in the veterinary world, um, and there's a lot of there, there's a lot of power to that. Um, in letting people know that, you know, we are here for them and their animal companions. And, um, you know, it, it's we're always booked out weeks in advance, yeah. which is a good thing um, that people have that trust in us.
0: For sure. So, again, if I lived in Manatee County and I needed my cat uh, spayed or neutered or whatever, so mm-hmm. could I just call up and say, I'm, I'm sure you can't get in this week or tomorrow or whatever, but can I make an appointment for such and such a time, And is yeah. that, would that be how it would work?
1: And that, that's one way how it works. The other way of how it works with spay-neuter and also now dentals is people can go to our website, which is www.humanemanatee.org. Mm-hmm. Um, they can go on there. They can find the spay-neuter tab, and you can actually book your appointment online. And the same with dentals uh dentals can also be booked online uh you can go in and pick a date that has an opening you pick a time that's open you put your information in um and then you will get a a text automated text reminder to remind you of your appointment prior to your appointment and yeah so it's it's actually virtually very easy uh to make those appointments Again, we are booked out in advance, so it's not like an instant gratification. Right. um, But there is a there is a system in place that makes it very easy for people, um, and you know you can use a mobile phone to do that as well uh, by logging into our website.
0: That's great, and and again, I think you're trading off like, hey, I I somehow suddenly need to do this tomorrow. I I, I, there's not an appointment tomorrow. I'm fairly certain over there, but when on the flip side is hey, we can get you uh, affordable spay and neuter. We can get you an appointment. You can just sit there, uh, you know, on your couch and book it and then be reminded about it. I mean, yes, yeah, again, makes it easy for people to do it. So probably more people do it than whether otherwise say, oh, it's kind of a hassle or I don't know if I can make it out there next Saturday or, you yeah. know, whatever. So
1: that's true. I mean, one of the things that I feel is kind of a secret to our success is we don't try to offer services that we're not set up to offer here.
2: Yeah, we
1: we know who we are, uh, we know what we do well, and that is that is what we do. And also, you know, we added dermatology um, services to our list of services available because of their community need. That's how we pick and choose what we're going to be offering in our veterinary clinic, it's based on the needs in the community and the surrounding community. Um, it's not based on whether or not it's going to be a good revenue generator or anything else. Yeah. It's not based on the need. And, you know, that that keeps us real with people.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, I uh, back to our earlier conversation about stability in terms of both leadership, but also the fact that the place itself has been around for 50 more years and gradually all these different um, facilities and services and things have been added and, and and perfected. So again, now you can book your appointment online and you get a reminder and it's simple and easy. So more people are going to, of course, get their, their cat or dog spayed or neutered just as an example. So there is a lot to be said for just getting the hang of things, getting experience and stability and, and just saying, hey, let's add dermatology because of this, this, this and this factor. And uh, I'm sure people have been super appreciative, and it's probably been a very popular uh, additional service.
1: Yes, you know, you mentioned before the TNR program here in uh, Manatee uh, County in Sarasota County. Yeah. Um, you know, we we are we are without question the lead organization when it comes to working with trappers um, with the community cats. You know, most people call them feral cats. Yeah. I don't I call them community cats because? There's a, a certain percentage of community cats that are abandoned. They're not feral cats, they've been abandoned. Um, and they're living on the streets. There's somewhere over 200,000 cats living on the streets in Manatee County alone. Wow. Um, and the trappers that are out there and the caretakers that are feeding and watering uh, these colonies um, can come here anytime, day or night, with trapped cats, drop them off on a secure, Um, uh, porch that we have in the rear of our veterinary clinic. Um, They can be spayed and neutered, and as you mentioned before, they get rabies vaccine. Um, And if they have an injury or need an antibiotic, we have a time-release antibiotic that we could administer to those cats as well when they're here for their surgeries. Um, After their surgeries, the trappers return, pick them up, and take them right back where they picked them up. And it has had a tremendous positive impact on controlling the community feral cat population in Manatee County, which is, you know, a quality of life issue for people and the cats.
0: Yeah. Well, once again, we see that there's experience, there's uh, expertise combined with that ex- exp- uh, experience to make this kind of the most effective version of TNR that, that people could do and to really help the, f- the feral slash community cat situation. Um what, what kind of uh, pushback, if any, do you get? I mean, anytime I do a show that's related to uh, feral cats, community cats, um, almost inevitably there, there's, you know, most people are kind of happy to, to, to hear about it and, and support it, whatever, for the reasons you kind of just outlined. But there's also a certain contingent that is concerned about the cats, concerned about the, their impact on birds and other wildlife, so I'm wondering if, if you guys do you get pushback on, on, on the TNR program at, at times? or You know, I, I know exactly what you're speaking of because
1: I, I've dealt with that for, for years in different parts of the country.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I'm going to say again here we have a pretty amazing community. The numbers of detractors are very small, um, and um, we try our best to uh, talk to and educate anyone who has an issue – with any TNR aspect. We we actually took one of our veterinary technicians uh, and created a position here um, and it's a TNR coordinator for our organization um, because we're proud of the work we do with TNR and we wanted to make sure that we had people in place that would be able to uh, talk to talk, tell the story, mm-hmm. um, and talk to people about it. Yeah, um, and let them know the the positive impact. Is it a perfect program? No. Um, is it a program that ensures that the community cats here in our in our community are getting the the best care that we can provide and that people can provide? Yes, uh, it is. Yeah. Um, and again, not everyone is a fan of TNR. Um, but quite honestly, for the quality of life for the animals, um, it's a no-brainer.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds like that's, again, just the product of sorting this out, uh, applying some real expertise and experience, and then again, and even creating that position that, that specifically deals with uh, addressing how TNR works and sort of the pros and cons, and so the people that feel like there are cons can at least be heard out, and maybe maybe their minds change, probably not, but at least... At least they get a hearing, it sounds like. Yes. That's great. This is Talking Animals on WMF I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Rick Yocum, Executive Director of the Maine Society of Manatee County, which is gearing up to host the Bradenton Spring Festival, its biggest fundraiser of the year. That's March 25th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Caddies in Bradenton. So we invite you to join the conversation. If you have any kind of questions about any of the things we've been talking about, veterinary care, spay and neuter, TNR, et cetera, please call 813 239 you can email dj at wnf.org or text 813-433-0885. So we've mentioned the Bradenton Spring Festival, and you've mentioned there's different ways that, that some of these programs get grants and other kinds of funding, but I gather that the Bradenton Spring Festival itself is a, f- a fairly ins- uh, important way to kind of underwrite a lot of what you do there.
1: It absolutely is, um, and we're excited about it. You know, this, this event for 14 years was called Pause in Motion, uh, that included a dog walk along the river walk in, uh, in downtown Bradenton. But because of construction on the river walk, we weren't sure that we'd be able to include a walk. So we decided to change it up a little bit. Um, it's the Bradenton Spring Festival. It's family friendly, pet friendly. Um, anybody and everybody can come and have a great time. Uh, you don't have to, you don't have to have an animal on a leash to come. Uh, there's tons of things to do for kids. So that's the, uh, that's the way we're moving forward with this this year. Um, and it is an important fundraiser for our organization. Um, you know, fundraising and revenue generation is obviously an integral part of every nonprofit's world. Um, and this is an important element for us to be able to host an event like this uh, to raise funds that go directly to help our shelter animals.
0: Yeah, well that's so important. We just uh, wrapped up our uh, our winter fun drive here at the station not too long ago, and and it's, it's tough. It's tough sliding for some of the reasons we've talked about in other contexts. Uh, again, prices for things are up. People have less money that they might or- ordinarily donate to a radio station or donate to the Humane Society. of County, But hopefully they'll still come out to something like the Bradenton Spring Festival, have fun, and uh, put a few more bucks in your guys' pockets. So one of the things that sounds particularly intriguing about the Bradenton Spring Festival to me is the kite flying. How does that work?
1: So uh, the idea, the concept, uh, which actually came from one of our board members, um, was that um, you can come and purchase a kite, um, and you can fly that kite. I believe the kite flying is going to take place at 1230 in the afternoon. Um, and you can support four different programs. You have your choice. You can support your donation for your kite purchase. can go to the Second Chance Adoption Center. It can go toward uh, Trap Neuter uh, TNR. Um, it can go toward our uh, Spay Neuter Fund. Or it can go to our pet owner safety net, which is the food pantry. So you have a choice of where you'd like to see your donation directed and restricted to. Uh, to help any one of those four programs, and we just thought it was a pretty cool idea to have a whole bunch of people flying a kite at the same time, yeah um on behalf of the animals
0: no that's great, i mean can't go wrong with kite flying if you ask me, yeah. but uh <laughs> so that's uh but there's also i think the thing you thought maybe you, you wouldn't be able to accommodate i believe actually is moving forward that the the race uh, the race course for dogs
1: yeah the lure the lure course um. And, you know, that is always a hugely popular event to have at a uh, festival uh, like this where animals are included um, because those animals love the competition of chasing um, the lore bait. It's just, and people see um, a personality in their dog that they may not see at home uh, when they see their older dog and how energetic and excited the dog is to chase. Around the Loring course, so it's really a lot of fun to be part of. It's also a lot of fun to watch.
2: Yeah,
0: no, some of those dogs, like you say, are, uh, the reactions are surprising. You, you see their humans saying, "Geez, I didn't know you had it in you." That's uh, that's yeah. quite impressive. Okay. Yeah,
2: so Correct. yeah, yeah.
0: But there's also and, pet uh, photos and all kinds of food and stuff. I mean, it just seems like there's a lot going on at this uh, this event.
1: Here, here's what I compare the the lure, the Loring course to: when dogs get out there and their owners are shocked. Um, at the high level of energy that they have when they're doing something they love to do. yeah. like when you have your grandparents at a wedding and all of a sudden a fast song comes on and you look out on the floor and there's your
0: grandparents doing the (laughs) job. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Look at Grandma go. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's great. So, again, that's uh, Saturday, March 25th, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Caddy's in Bradenton, and um, Now, does anybody, uh, first of all, let's repeat, you already mentioned it once, but let's repeat, the website is humanemanatee.org. Uh, is there anything that people can sign up for or should sign up for in advance for the Bradenton Spring Festival just so they don't miss out on something that they, they uh, might want to participate in? Yeah. Pretty much,
1: pretty much everything you would need uh, to attend uh, or to uh, donate to uh, you can be found on the website under the events tab for the Bradenton Spring Festival. Um, there's explanations of what everything is there. Yeah, and people can also uh, sign up to purchase a t-shirt for twelve dollars for the event. Um, and yeah, everything is available on the website. And one thing this year, um, and this is all timing because we're not we're not real big on having puppies for adoption. Um, we're here. Uh, mainly uh, our shelter dogs are dogs that truly need that second chance, that older dog, maybe a heartworm-positive dog. Um, But on occasion, we'll have a dog transferred in uh, that is close to having puppies, and we had that situation here not that long ago, and we had an amazing mom who was a great mom to her puppies, who, by the way, is in her new home, but her eight puppies will be at the event and available for adoption.
0: Wow. Okay. Yet a further uh, drawing card of some kind. That's uh, that's, yes. that's yes. great. All
1: cool. by all by happenstance too. So yeah. but that's going to be an exciting part of the event is the excitement over people being able to meet those eight puppies
0: that 's great, well, Rick. We have just about reached the end of our uh, time here together we 've been speaking with Rick Yoakum, Executive Director of the Humane Society of Manatee County. again, the website is humane manatee dot org and uh find out more about the various services and facilities that we discussed and of course the Bradenton Spring Festival coming up which again is a huge important fundraiser for them to kind of be able to continue offering all these great services so Rick thank you so much for making the time to join us on Talking Animals.
1: Anytime Duncan I appreciate we appreciate what you do for the animals in our community so thank you and your listeners.
0: All right thanks again and good luck on the 25th. Thank you have a good day. You too. Bye. In a moment, I'll speak with Dr. Laurie Marino, founder of the Whale Sanctuary Project, about Kiska, the orca who had been living at Marine Land Canada for many, many years, uh, for more than a decade, with no other orca around, by the way, and who died on Thursday. We'll get to that shortly. Right now, though, we're going to step into the comedy corner with something from the razor-sharp writer and comedian Laurie Kilmartin. This is a piece called, In Retrospect, I Should Have Gotten a Dog, from Laurie Kilmartin in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNF.
3: You just say, so you know, "I'm joking." I love my son. And if you don't have kids, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people without kids here. You don't understand. It's it's a it's an amazing kind of love. Like imagine the love you have for a dog, like your pet, and then you take that love and you multiply that by 0. 0.7, <laughs> and then you divide that by four. <laughs> <And> that's <laughs> like to be a parent. I had a dog. I didn't realize how easy I had it. With a dog. Oh, God, those were the days. I had a dog that barked. That was my huge problem. So I got her this thing called a Cintronella collar. And it it puts a box on the dog's throat. And when the dog barks, the vibration causes the box to spray lemon juice. And when the dog, the dog will stop barking because they don't like the smell of citrus. And that makes sense because dogs are very discerning animals. They like smells like crotch and poo. (laughs) Petrus, I need to cleanse my palate. Ah, an ass. And then my I used to move a lot too, especially in my early days in New York, you know. And every time I would move I would add I would microchip my dog and I would add a new microchip to my dog. So by the end she had like eighty five gigabytes in her ass. She was my backup hard drive, you guys. Her anus was actually shaped like a firewire cable port, so it fit right in. And I would back up to her every <laughs> every six weeks like they tight.
0: Sorry. That was laurie Kilmart in today's common a Corner with a piece called In Retrospect, I Should Have Gotten a Dog, taken from her album Five Minutes to Myself. Now it's time to speak with Dr. laurie Marino about Kiska, the longtime captive org at Marineland, Canada, who died on Thursday. This is Dr. laurie Marino back on Talking Animals on W. Good morning, Dr. Marino.
4: Good morning. Good morning, Duncan.
0: Thanks for making the time to join us today. My Um,
4: pleasure.
0: uh, Clearly, obviously, a sad topic. Let's let's maybe start with a brief overview of Kiska. She was known as the loneliest orca in the world in many circles. Why?
3: She was
4: known as the loneliest orca in the world because she was kept alone without any other animals at all. No members of her species for 12 years. So she was in the tank all by herself, essentially in solitary confinement. Wow.
0: Prior to that, she did have an orca companion, but that hasn't been the case for the ensuing 12 years. And, no, uh,
4: and, and, no other, and no other cetacean companions, are, are really. Uh, the only uh, interactions she had was with her trainers intermittently, but it is exceptionally cruel to keep uh, an orca, who's a highly social animal, uh, all alone for for years on
0: end. Yeah. And were there any efforts made to either to bring a, another orca in or to move Kiska elsewhere where there would be one or more other orcas that she could
4: be with? Well, I don't know because the Marine, marine Land isn't uh, especially forthcoming mm. um, with what they their management decisions are. I mean, over the years, she has had five children and all five of them have died in the tank. Uh, mm. So she's... So it, the history is, is really,
0: really sad. Yeah. Magic. Yeah. So you're the founder of the Whale Sanctuary Project. You were on uh, this show in 2020, a conversation in which we yes. kind of discussed the Whale Sanctuary Project in some detail, what it aims to do and what kind of uh, whales would likely be there. Can you just maybe briefly outline it for people who maybe didn't have a chance to hear that conversation, just kind of outline what the Whale Sanctuary Project is and what it aims to do, and then I'll go from there. <laughs>
4: Sure, sure. The Whale Sanctuary Project is creating a, a sanctuary in Port Hilford, Nova Scotia, for beluga whales and orcas. Uh, and, uh, of course, we were hoping that we could bring Kiska to our sanctuary when it's open. We hope to, to open uh, next year in the spring, and uh, we're well on our way. Uh, We have 100 acres of of beautiful space uh, in the water, uh, continuous with the ocean, and uh, it will provide a a better life for several beluga whales and uh, orcas.
0: And, uh, Dr. Marina, are those belugas and orcas, is it already clear who might be some of the initial residents of the uh, sanctuary?
4: (laughs) No, no, we've been in, in talks with several people, including folks as far away as South, uh, South Korea.
2: Wow.
4: Um, but we don't we haven't identified the candidates yet. And of course, you know again, we're hoping to be able to identify some of the belugas at Marineland. Uh, to come to the to the sanctuary that they 're selling their park they can 't breed anymore we 've got we 're going to have a sanctuary right next door and we 'd love to talk to them about uh some of those some of those whales coming to us so we can provide a better life for them
0: and do you find when you 're approaching them and, and and other facilities that they are skeptical, leery or are some kind of open to it and see the virtues at this point in the game? And-
4: Everything in between. Yeah. Uh, the, the we were in, we were in communication with uh, Marine Land Canada, and then they they stopped uh, communicating with us. Uh, we would like to continue, uh, and you know there is uh, a wariness about sanctuaries in the captivity uh, industry.
2: Yeah.
4: But really, uh, you know, I think you know they 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 also realized that a sanctuary provides all the care that they provide, plus more. So I think that they're just threatened by it because it shows that we we can have animals in captivity but treat them a whole lot better than they're being treated now.
0: And so, in, in a way, do you think Kisco's passing might galvanize efforts to get other animals from other places where there has been sort of that leeriness no. of... Um you know, they, they
4: Duncan, might... I hope so. Yeah. We have to give her death some meaning.
0: Right, for sure. Uh,
4: it it just has to have some meaning. And the best way to do that would be uh to to try to get some of the other whales who were who are still in marine land uh to sanctuaries or at uh, better situations. And uh I, I sure hope so. Yeah. Just to, yeah. So
0: what, what can folks listening do to, partly I guess to acknowledge Kiska's passing, but also to yeah. support your efforts? What are, what are some steps, whether emails or other things people could do to sort of say, hey, let me see if I can help in whatever way I can?
4: Well, you'll go to our website at www.whalesanctuary.org. Uh, of course, if you can donate, uh, that helps us because we are uh, building a sanctuary that is probably going to be uh, twelve to fifteen million dollar uh, operation, mm. and uh, we're well on our way with funding, but we can we we need more. Sure, and uh, that really that really helps. Tell your friends and family about it, and um, just if you want information about who we are and what we're trying to do. We are fully transparent. We disclose everything. And uh we're happy to talk to you. You can get in touch with us uh on email and uh we're we're happy to have a conversation with you about who we are and what we're trying to do.
0: That's great. And I think you guys are also on uh Facebook and Instagram so there's other yes, ways for people are. to find out yes. more and That's
4: uh right. contact That's people. Right. Yeah.
0: Yes. So yeah. all right well and I we guess we should mention you didn't mention the size but I remember when we spoke a couple of years ago about this on the show that the sanctuary would would I think at that point you said would have like 300 times the water space of the biggest captive tank situation for any for any animal so I mean Yeah that's uh, that's a huge, huge difference and obviously it makes for yeah, much
4: better It's an order of magnitude more yeah. to say. Um it, it it's never enough.
0: Right. But it's a lot better and,
4: uh, but, and it, we, but we can do better for them.
0: For yeah. sure. Yeah. All right. Well Dr. Marino, thank you so much and uh, I think it's nice to sort of acknowledge uh, important to acknowledge Kiska's passing, like you say. I mean hopefully that will help. Uh, move people more yes, in the direction is. of supporting the, the, the whale sanctuary. So thank you again for joining us today on Talking Animals.
4: Thank you very much, Duncan.
0: Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Coming up on WNF, the music kicks back in with Scott Elliott from noon at 3 p.m., a glorious three hours of music followed by Robin Hooper with another three hours of music, and we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. Meanwhile, on this show, as the prize for Name That Animal Tune, I'll be offering something fabulous from the Talking Animals Vault to the first person who calls 813 239 9663 and correctly identifies this animal song, which relates to WNF's Beatles tribute show, March 25th at Skipper's. Details and tickets at WNF.org. Meanwhile, it's Name That Animal Tune on Talking Animals on WNF. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll take any guesses that come in off the air because we have just about reached the end of this edition today of Talking Animals on WNF Tampa. I hope you'll join me again next Wednesday for another edition. I also invite you to visit talkinganimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast, Apple Podcasts, Real Balloon 2, as well as on other podcast platforms. Also links to our social media pages and more. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to find out more about our guests a couple of days beforehand and other news from the Talking Animal World. That's all at TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself.
2: Scott Elliott's up next after NPR News Headlines. This is Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa.